right. Well, again, good morning, FEC family. Happy New Year. Uh, for those of you who were with us last week, um, I hope you were blessed by Reflection Sunday and the time that we had together uh, to pray and reflect uh, on this past year and, and the year to come. And if you weren't here with us, um, I highly encourage you to either go back and watch it on YouTube, shameless plug there, um, or maybe on your own sometime this week, you spend some time contemplating. Uh, just spend some time with the Lord. Uh, think about the direction of your life. Think about who he is and how he grew you this past year. And of course, uh, we should all take some time to think about the year ahead, 2024. Uh, what are your hopes for this year? Do you have any goals? Right, some of you write down all those New Year's resolutions. Do you have any pursuits this year? You know, I know for me, uh, I've personally thought about how I want to grow in a number of ways, like my spiritual life or my role as a pastor. Right? I'd love to be uh, a little bit more active physically, don't we all, right? at least for the first week of January. Right? Um, but as I was thinking about all these things, my heart um, just brought me back to this one idea, this, this one thought, this one pursuit, uh, one goal. One vision for this year that's far beyond any other. And with that, uh, the Lord also brought this one familiar passage of Scripture that is just drenched with the gospel that we just had read for us. Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul uh, writes this letter to this church at Philippi, um, and he writes it to them 10 years after he planted the church there. And Paul, uh, we know, has a very, very strong, healthy relationship with this church. Um, it's a good church. Uh, it's a, it's a God-fearing church. They love Paul. They've supported him in a number of ways. And they seemingly, from what we can tell from this letter, they love Jesus and they love the gospel. Paul has taught them thoroughly. He has given them the gospel again and again and again. And now Paul writes this letter to them 10 years later. He comes along and at the beginning of chapter three, he tells them to, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me. In other words, I don't mind, even though I've done it again and again and again, I don't mind telling you the gospel again. I'm gonna remind you again and again. I've heard it said before that the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. And what we mean by this is that as followers of Jesus, we actually never go beyond the gospel. Never. We just gain a deeper understanding of it. And hopefully we all live out a greater application of it. And it's not just something, this gospel, is not just something that we know in our heads or it's for our heads, it's something that should actually captivate our hearts. If you know Jesus today, what is, what is true of you is that you have been transformed by the grace of God, that you have been made his own. And we should never get over that awe, never get over that reality, never get over that, that wonder. We need this same thing, Paul says, this gospel again and again and again. And so this is where we're headed today. Through the Apostle Paul, I want to remind you, as we start 2024, I'm just going to remind you of the gospel. I want to start 2024 that way. I thought a lot about this and how I want to start. It was obvious to me. 
Um, my first sermon ever, it's the gospel. Start of the year, it's the gospel. And as if Lord willing, the last sermon I ever preach, it'll just be the gospel. Um, and in that, I wanna draw your attention though to two broad applications that I believe we see in this Philippians 3 passage. First of all, I want us to see Paul's encouragement or hear Paul's encouragement here to trust in Christ alone. We're gonna see that in the first nine verses, really simple. Paul's gonna show us here that we are made righteous, that we are justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone. So that's where we're starting. And then secondly, we're gonna see that Paul not just, he doesn't just say trust in Christ alone, there's more, but we also see Paul encourages us to treasure Christ above all. We trust Christ for salvation, but we also treasure Christ above all else. We grow deeper, in other words, we grow deeper in our affection for the Lord, for the Savior. Right? So let's jump into this incredible passage together. Paul begins this way. He says, finally, um, as a good old preacher's joke here, by the way, he says, finally, and he's only halfway through the book, right? And so um, he is a true preacher. Because they would say, all right, last point, and that means we're halfway through. Finally, he says, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Let me just say briefly, I won't spend too much time here. I don't have the time. But even this statement itself, we can take it for granted. Finally, my brothers, you could circle it, underline it if you wanted to. It's a miracle, that statement. Finally, my, my brothers. Because let's not forget who the Apostle Paul was prior to this. Paul, we know, he was a hater of Jesus. He hated Christians. He was, he was actually going around seeking to kill them and was doing so, by the way. And now he is considering these people his family. This is what the gospel does, right? It, it unites us. It creates community. It brings us together as a unique family. Listen, it's a, it's a miracle to be able to call each other, even here in this place, from all over the world, brothers and sisters. So let's not take that for granted, amen? Finally, my brothers, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, we know that Paul uh, talks about this theme of happiness or joy like 14 or so times in this book, which is kind of interesting, uh, given the reality that Paul is writing this letter from prison. I mean, it's a bit ironic, isn't it? When you think about it, the guy who's in prison is writing to the people outside of prison, you need to be happy, okay? A little bit ironic. But how is Paul able to say that? How is he able to, to get himself to that place? Well, clearly it's not because his joy is rooted in his circumstances. Clearly it's, it's not because his joy is rooted in his possessions. No, his joy is found in, within and within his, his union with Jesus. It, it's coming, this happiness or joy, it's coming from a place of realizing once again who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him. You know, it's interesting. I was reading recently, um, there was an article at the end of this year, and you can, it'd be easy for you to find this statistically, but I was reading recently how depression and anxiety, uh, particularly after the pandemic, has never been worse. Like in 2023, the numbers have never been worse, especially amongst youth. Depression and anxiety, never been worse. Numbers are just off the charts. And yet, the irony of that, that 
is that we actually, as a people, we have never had more. More stuff, more access, more convenience, and yet more depressed, more anxious. And what that tells us then, just a simple math equation, is that there's no amount of stuff, right? There's no amount of convenience that can lead you to lasting joy. I think that our society is proving that. In other words, you don't get joy when you get what you desire. No, right? We get joy when we realize what we deserve and understand what Jesus has given us instead. Okay? I'll say that again to make sure you get it. We get joy when we realize what we deserve and understand what Jesus has given us instead. Right? Paul is the guy who understands what he deserves. What does he deserve? Separation from God forever. But, but what has he actually been given? Grace. And because joy isn't dependent upon his circumstances, but rooted in that reality of grace freely given, even from a prison cell, he can say with confidence and boldness to this church, regardless of what they're going through, and they were going through persecution, he can say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, then Paul follows that with, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, which we already said, and is safe for you. You know, this is not just a throwaway statement here. It's actually very instructive for the church. To write the same thing, again, that is, the same message I preached to you and taught you when I was with you, when I was planting the church among you. And now he says, I'm going to keep saying what I said before, keep repeating it to you, that gospel, this gospel, and why? He says, because it's actually safe for you. Interesting word. Another translation said, because it's a safeguard for you. You see, for Paul, to say the gospel over and over again was actually an expression of love. Why? Because being reminded of the gospel protects us from false gospels, which our world is so full of, even though we sometimes don't initially see it. And so I just want to say if you're here, maybe you've made a decision like, oh, it's a new year. I'm going to start checking out church. I'm going to try church again. And you've tried us and you're here. You're checking out Freedom Village for the first time. Maybe you're newer to our community and you want to know what we're ultimately about. Well, um, I will be bold enough and, and daring enough to say you can ask anyone who's been here for a decent amount of time and they will tell you the exact same thing. They've heard it again and again that ultimately here at FEC, we're really just about the gospel. We don't have much beyond that, to be honest, okay? Our pockets are pretty empty beyond that. Um, and that's actually out of a conviction that the gospel is enough. And more than that, that the gospel is all that we actually need. And so week in and week out, the goal here, and I, and I prayed this again for going into this year, I try to do this every year, remind myself, even when I'm there and before I get up here, the goal is not for me to get up here and try to be creative. It's hard for me not to do that, by the way. I want to, you know, put something together that, ooh, I haven't thought about, and see you jot something down, 
right? Something that's Instagrammable, right? It's hard for me not to try to be creative, but that's not the goal, never. The vision, the goal up here is to always put the attention on Jesus and just keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over again to you. Because it's good for you and it's good for me. Now, of course, the message of the gospel has a million implications, okay? So it's literally not the same sermon week in and week out, same teaching. And we're going to work through those nuances, all of them. But in the end, again, it's the same gospel because there is just one gospel. This is what Paul was about, and it's what we want to be about here. And I thought about it, an easy way to think of it. For those of us in Korea here, at least, or if you listen to any sort of K-pop, it's like, I was thinking, it's like Psy. <laughs> you know, that guy, man, could you be any luckier, right? This guy touring around all over the world on basically one song, right? It's Ice Ice Baby, same thing, right? The guy, one song, one hit wonder. He's pretty much got Gangnam Style. Some of you are going to like throw rocks at me because you're like, you don't know his album, you know, how creative he He's pretty much got Gangnam style, but you know what? It works for him. And he's gonna like zoom out of the stage and everyone's gonna go crazy, you know, the whole deal. Still, it's like, how many, how old is that song? Still, people go crazy, right? He's gonna keep singing that song, touring with that song again and again and again. And just like that, we're gonna be here at FEC and just keep playing our song again and again and again, the gospel, until we see Jesus. Paul says, it is no trouble for me to give you the gospel again. He says, I actually want to do it. I love to do it. And on top of that, again, it's actually good for you. It's safe for you because our world is full of so many lies, so many things that try to captivate our hearts. Right? This is what he's getting to in verse 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul here is talking about these false teachers, and he used the term dogs to describe them because in Paul's day, Paul, uh, dogs were not pets, okay? Some of you are like, look out for the dogs. I love dogs. Not in that day, right? Okay, dogs were scavengers. Okay, they were animals who went where they didn't belong, right? They made a mess of things, tore things up. And so Paul is saying, this is what false teachers among us are doing. They are going where they don't belong. In other words, they've crept their way in among us. And they are tearing, ripping up the gospel. They're doing great damage to the teachings and truths about Jesus, the teachings of the church. So he says, watch out for these guys. And, and Paul, most scholars believe that Paul here is referring specifically about, to this group of people, a Jewish segment of society, who were going around teaching that to become a real Christian, a true Christian, meant that you, you need to become Jewish first. Right? You want to become a Christian, that's a good thing, but you have to become Jewish first to become a Christian. Right? You needed to do all the rituals, right? all the religious ceremonies. You have to follow all the rules, then you can become a follower of Jesus. They were basically teaching this Jesus plus something else gospel. And of course, that is similarly everywhere in our world today. There's a lot of churches, by the way, that teach this, that it's not just faith in Christ alone, but it's faith in Jesus 
plus something else. But Paul says, watch out for that. He actually calls it evil. Look out for those evil ones who go around teaching this. And then he says, who mutilate the flesh. Paul sort of does this play on words here with circumcision. He's like, essentially, just to be frank with you, he's saying, these guys are just cutting their flesh for the Lord, quote unquote, but it's become this useless ritual that isn't connected to a real heart change. That's what he's saying. It's this outward physical sign that isn't a reflection of what's going on in the heart. In other words, their circumcision, their mark, if you will, means nothing. Then he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, we are the ones, not them, we are the ones, followers of Jesus are the ones who are actually marked by God. We are the real people of God. And it's not because of any external physical mark that we have on ourselves, but, about, but it's all about what's happened to us inwardly. In other words, we have been made new creations and the evidence of that, he tells us, is being marked by the Holy Spirit who lives and resides and dwells within us. The evidence of this is living our lives by the Spirit. It means glorifying in Christ Jesus is the phrase he used. It means boasting in him and putting confidence in nothing else. That is to say, we do not put any confidence in our own works, in our performance, particularly when it comes to salvation. You see, when it comes to salvation, here's the reality this morning for all of us. When it comes to salvation, you can either believe in a religion of human performance or you can believe in divine accomplishment, but it's, it's, it's nothing else. It's human performance or it's divine accomplishment. So where are you placing your trust today? Where are you placing your confidence? Paul says, as followers of Jesus, we are those who put no confidence in ourselves. Look at verse four. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, then he boldly says, I have more. It's a pretty arrogant, confident statement. It's coming out of humility, though. You'll see here. Paul is basically like, listen, guys, if anyone could boast in themselves, it's me. I don't do that anymore. But if anyone thinks that they could do this, I could brag more. And let me tell you why. And then he goes on to explain, and he gives us the list. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, number seven, blameless. Wow. And so we see here several things that Paul could have put his confidence in. For example, we see here, he starts there with his race, actually. Paul says, I was of the people of Israel. In other words, God's chosen people. He's writing to a Gentile people, so there's more impact in this, I think. I was of the people of Israel. I'm one of God's chosen. In other words, I have Abraham's blood flowing purely through my veins. 
Beyond that, he's not just an Israelite, because if you were a Jew listening to this, you'd be like, well, I am too. He's like, oh yeah, but not only am I not just an Israelite, I'm also from the tribe of Benjamin. And if you don't know much about the 12 tribes of Israel, worth a study for you sometime. But if you do know about this tribe, you would know this is the tribe you want to belong to. They are loyal through and through for the most part. Loyal to the Davidic dynasty, the holy city was on their land strategically. And Paul's like, yeah, that's my family. That's my lineage. That's my name. But none of it is enough. It's nothing to boast in. Where you're from, who your family is, it's nothing in the sight of God when it comes to his love for you and his salvific plan for you. We also see here that we're to put no confidence in our tradition. You can see that here in the text. He says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We know that Paul, of course, was fluent in Greek. He knew Greek culture inside and out. Half of the New Testament is written in Greek by Paul. But we also know that he knew Hebrew culture inside and out. And he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. Tradition tells us that he was at the very top of society renowned in society, respected deeply, looked up to by his peers even. But again, he says, it's not enough. He goes on, what about good works or your morality? Paul says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, understand this, I was not just a keeper of the law, Paul says, but I held people accountable to keeping it. In other words, I'm one of the ones who helped keep the standard. In fact, he says, under the law, and it's the one everyone went, ooh, to. Under the law, he says, I am blameless. That's incredible when you think about it. But you know, in my experience, this is one of the places where a lot of people have a lot of false assurance. The morality. The gospel of morality. Listen, the God, <laughs> listen morality cannot save a person. Right? Paul was a Pharisee. If anybody could be saved by what they do, their good works, their good deeds, it would have been Paul, but again, he says, it doesn't work. And that isn't to say that as followers of Jesus, we are uh, condoning immorality, right? The opposite. But what we are saying is, what we are saying is with morality is that while doing good can keep you out of a place like jail, <laughs> it can't keep you from eternal separation from God. Right? You've got to understand that. Why? Because the, the reality for us, every single one of us here in this room today, including myself, we are all lawbreakers, actually. Happy New Year, okay? <laughs> New Year, we're still sinners. <laughs> James says, you've broken, not James, me. <laughs> the guy who wrote the Bible. <laughs> Apostle James says, if you've broken one command, you've actually broken them all. And by the way, if you're here today, and you're one of those, maybe, you know, say, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't see myself as a bad person. Well, the scripture calls that pride, <laughs> which means you do have sin and you're way worse than you think. Morality cannot save you. And trusting in your morality, by the way, is not the gospel. How do I know that? Well, if morality could save you, Jesus would not have to come and live a life that you couldn't live and die a death that you should have died. Right? Our good deeds are nothing to boast in before the Lord. What about zeal? 
and passion. He addresses that as well. No, not good enough either. Paul was a persecutor of the church, he says. In other words, he's saying, I was, I was certainly passionate about what I believed and totally sincere in what I did, but it didn't matter. And I think this makes sense to all of us, right? Because you can be passionate about something and still totally wrong, right? <laughs> right? You hear people say things like, follow your heart, right? That's the worst thing you can do, right? That's garbage, right? Garbage, right? I, I heard a comedian once say, I think it was Bill Murray, I think. He said, every time I follow my heart, it leads me to the refrigerator, <laughs> right? So understand today, right? Sincerity and passion, okay, it's not enough, right? We, meet, we need something much more. See, this is the gospel message here today. It's always been the gospel, that there is a chasm that exists between us. There's a gap too big to comprehend between God, who is holy, the one we sang about this morning, and you and I, who are sinful, unholy. There's a chasm. There's a gap. And to close that gap, to, to bridge that gap, we needed Jesus to come and die for our sins. We needed the cross so we could be reconciled back to God. Right? But listen now, to believe this gospel means first and foremost, you actually have to acknowledge that there is a gap. You have to reconcile that in your mind that there is a gap between myself and the creator God. Like to be reconciled means that you actually believe, you're convicted that, they're, that you are at odds with somebody. And if you know that, and you're not a Christian here, you're actually a great candidate for the Lord's saving grace. But if you don't believe that, if you don't get this, you don't understand that there is a gap or you question that, then you really haven't truly understood the gospel. Paul is asking the question, where do you put your confidence? There are a lot of bad places to put our confidence. Right? Paul shows us that here. We never put our confidence in ourselves. We never put our confidence in what we do. Our confidence lies in another. We put all our weight we bank everything on the work of another. Paul says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says all of those accomplishments, tough one, all those accomplishments, the resume, right? Where I went to school, who I was trained by, the job title I now hold, the position, the status, all those things that I used to have in the positive column for me, who I was, what I did, they are now, I've actually taken them, removed them from that place and put them in the negative column. I count them as loss, he actually says. Not that they're even neutral, they're loss. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. By the way, to say, my Lord, in Paul's day, was to say a direct statement. It's actually against the Roman Empire. It's to say that Caesar is not Lord. It was the confession of faith. Um, in the first century, if you were to be baptized, this was the confession you'd make before you were immersed. 
you would say Christos Kyrios, means Jesus Christ is Lord. That would mean that you're outwardly, who you're worshiping, who you're following. That was the declarative statement. Jesus, he says it here, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That word rubbish there in Greek, it's only used one time in the entire New Testament. It's a fun word in Greek. It's the word skubala, skubala. I'm only telling you because I wanted to say it, skubala. No, I'm kidding. Um, one time in the New Testament, um, it literally means excrement. If you don't know what that means, because English is your first language, it means poop, okay? The translators who took a look at this text were a bit timid and a little holy, pious, in the way they translate this verse here, because what Paul literally says is, everything I used to put my hope in, my confidence in, is all crap now. That's what he says. Listen, you want to put your confidence in your morality? Paul says you're putting it in trash. Your confidence and your hope this morning is in your zeal, your passion, it's crap. Your tradition, right? your family, it's garbage, rubbish before the Lord. So where do you put your confidence? Paul tells us where he put his in the beginning of verse nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So this is the Christian. We are those who are in Christ. We are those who are found in him. If you are in him today, the message of the gospel is that you are safe. This is so good. The Christian is the one who has been united to Jesus. And by being united to Christ, we receive his righteousness, Paul says. We receive all that is his. In other words, when the Father now sees us, God the Father, when he sees us, he sees us as he sees his son Jesus. Right? Please don't tire of hearing that. Don't get weary of hearing this. You are righteous before the Lord right here, right now. Righteous. And not because, again, not because we are actually good, but because Jesus is good. And so God gives us Jesus' righteousness as a gift. Notice it's given by God. It comes from God, Paul says there, and it's received. How? He says it depends on faith. By faith. Paul says, don't trust in your own effort. Right? It'll lead you nowhere. No, no, no. Trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. Again, you can choose today human achievement or divine accomplishment. You can either believe today that you can earn your own right standing before God, your own righteousness, or you can sing with all the saints of old, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I love what John Stott once said about sin and salvation. I don't know if I've ever heard a better definition, by the way, and I want to share it with you. He said this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. The essence of salvation is God substituting himself for men.
Christ is our righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Better news doesn't exist in the entire world, does it, church family? No better news. And this is, by the way, why we send people to the nations. It's why we choose freely and willingly, joyfully choose to live on mission wherever we work, wherever we shop, wherever we eat, wherever we play. Because our world needs this news. Our world needs this gospel. And that's why it's all that we preach here. The gospel and the gospel alone. We trust in Christ alone. And then second, Paul says, we treasure Christ above all. We treasure Christ above all. We trust in Christ alone. We treasure Christ above all. See this with me now. Once we believe, once we understand who Jesus is and what he has done, there is a treasuring of the Savior. Paul says, Jesus is of surpassing work, worth. In other words, there's nothing better. He's gotten to this point in his life. There's, there's nothing better. Nothing gets better than this. No one is better than him. He is of surpassing worth, he says. Look at verse 10. Here's what Paul wants. Out of this understanding of who God is and what he has done. This is what Paul wants. This is what I want, not just for me, but for us as a gathering. It's a new year, Freedom Village. But here's the old goal. It's the same goal every year, every decade, every day, every hour, every minute, every moment. Here's the goal, Paul says, that I may know him. This is Paul's goal, to know Jesus. And understand again who we are actually talking about here, who's writing these words. This guy wrote half of the New Testament, planted a bunch of churches. He served the Lord tirelessly, faithfully, led so many people to Christ. But Paul has, I'll put it this way, Paul has no chill when it comes to Jesus. No chill. Like, come on, Paul, settle down just a little bit. Like, you're getting old now. You're in prison. You're at the, the last of your days. There's no chill. Nope, I'm not done. I am not satisfied. He says, I want to know him. I just want to know him. It's not, man, I'm in prison. I just want some, some comfort here in prison. No, he doesn't say that. It's not, can you guys send me some stuff to like help me out over here? Like it can make things a little bit easier for me here. No, no, I just want to know Jesus more, he writes the church. Let me ask you this morning. Let me ask you this this morning. Are we more spiritually mature than Paul? And if not, perhaps this should be our passion and goal as well. To know Christ Plain and simple. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, says, once you realize your main business in life is to know Christ, most of life's problems just seem to fall into place. It is a remarkable thing that happens when the dominant pursuit of your heart is simply to know Jesus. It's amazing how many implications come with that. Paul is treasuring Jesus here. And again, this is our mission every single day. It's number one on our agenda. Some of you keep a yearly like agenda thing. It should be number one. What do I have to do tomorrow? It should be number one. 
Like, I don't know what you have on your schedule tomorrow. A lot of you've come back. You've got a busy schedule tomorrow. Busy day. You're dreading it, actually, some of you. I don't know what you have planned. You probably have a lot to do. But make sure that you do this. Number one, you seek him. And you long to know him. To know him, Paul says. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, Paul says. Paul says, I want to be so identified with Jesus. I want to be so tied to him. He says, I want to know and experience his power and authority in my life. And I think that's an easy one for us to understand. Do you not want that? Think about, do you not want your days to be filled experiencing the power and the authority of Jesus Christ through the spirit in your life? Of course we do. We share in that, but how about this? He also says, I want to know his sufferings. Literally, Paul says here, better in English, it would say, I want to share in his suffering. (laughs) Paul's saying, in other words, if suffering is what it takes, even suffering the exact same way that Jesus did, if that's what it takes to know him more, bring it on. Bring the suffering. I welcome the suffering, he says. I want to participate in that suffering. And please understand, this is not Paul delighting in suffering here. Not at all, right? Not at all. But he knows that there is an intimacy with Jesus that only comes through pain, that only comes through trial, that only comes through suffering. There's a certain intimacy that comes uh, uh, through our our, our, our tribulations on this earth, the goal is knowing him, being with him, being like him. And Paul says, essentially, I want that by any means possible, even if it means I die, just like Jesus died. There's such humility here, such humility. And so the question is, that, of course, how in the world do we get there? How do we get to this place? How do we press on to know Christ more like this, like Paul here? How do we actually accomplish the vision, this goal in 2024 and beyond? Well, Paul gives us a few, couple, two specifically ways to do this right here in the chapter. And this is how we're going to close this morning. First of all, you want to know him more deeply, more intimately this year? You want to know him? First of all, we need to humbly acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Acknowledge that we haven't arrived. Notice how verse 12 and verse 13 both start with a negative. It's interesting how he writes that, actually. He says, not that I have already obtained this. So what's the context? Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. In other words, he's saying, I haven't obtained perfect knowledge of Christ yet. I want to know him. I haven't fully accomplished that yet. I haven't fully become like him yet. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. And then here's the other negative. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Bottom line here, Paul realizes it's simple truth for us today. 
Paul realizes that he has room to grow in his life. And, and if Paul can say this, if Paul can say this to us, I don't want to be Captain Obvious this morning, but we have to say the same thing about us. And honestly, I don't know anyone who would actually say or believe they've made it. I've never met someone who says that. I have fully arrived. Never. I know Jesus perfectly, inside and out. Never heard it. But, but still, we need to be reminded of this, that we don't. We haven't arrived. Paul says, I haven't obtained the goal yet. I haven't accomplished it yet. It's my path, but I'm not there yet. I don't know Jesus fully, and I'm not like him completely. Essentially, Paul is saying, I still need grace. I still need grace. I'm not perfect. And you know, once you get to that place in your life, once you truly realize that, again, not just in your head, the gospel's for your heart. Once you get this, you'll actually see the entire world differently. Not only that, by the way, you'll actually start to treat other people differently as well. For one, we'll stop being so self-righteous. <laughs> but then we'll also be quicker to offer grace to others, understanding the grace that we have received freely. You want to know Christ more? Simply acknowledge that you haven't arrived yet. Simple, but something that we need to do maybe daily. And then second, notice here that Paul encourages us to forget and strain. You want to know Christ more? Here's your goal. Here's the how-to this year for you. Forget and strain. Forget and strain. Get this. On the one hand, we haven't arrived. That's true. But you know, there's some of us when we, when we know that we haven't arrived or maybe cannot fully arrived here on earth, we actually use that as an excuse not to press on to know him more. Right? That's not what Paul does though, is it? No, he, he does the opposite. We see that here. He says, but one thing I do. So in other words, I want to know him. I haven't gotten there fully yet, perfectly yet. But he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing. There's passion here. I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm straining forward towards the goal. I love how one commentator put this here. He says, Paul forgets as he runs. I love that. Paul forgets as he runs. And what is Paul forgetting? Well, for one, it's his failures. He's forgetting his failures. He's leaving those behind, understanding that they are now, through the gospel, covered by the blood of Christ. But also, again, remember, he's also forgetting his accomplishments. And personally, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. I like to think about my past success. I do. And I also like that to give me security and comfort. And in a lot of ways, I like that to define me. And a lot of people, we know this, right? A lot of people live in the glory days, don't they? The yesteryears, how good things used to be when I was this or that or whatever, right? In other words, they're not living in the now. They just talk fondly of the past. I'll use a reference that only a few of us will get, but it's the best one I got. It's like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite. Okay? Only a few of you get that. 
But essentially, maybe you can YouTube it, right? This middle-aged guy, right, living in a van, right? He's throwing the football around, right? He's thinking about back on his high school football days. Man, if I could only just go back, right? I used to be able to throw this football over those mountains, he said, right? He's like, oh, look at, and his life, he's just living in a van, talking about what he could have done, what he should have done, how good things used to be. No, Paul's saying, what are you doing today? What are you doing today? What are you accomplishing? Where are you after tomorrow? Paul is not living in the past. And again, he could have. That's the, that's the beauty of this. He could have done it. He accomplished a lot, more than most of us would ever dream of for the kingdom. Accomplished so much, but he says, I'm forgetting and striving forward. I'm not satisfied with who I am and what I've already done. I want to know Jesus more today. And let me just encourage you as a side note here. Let me just encourage you. Find people who live their lives this way and stick really close to them. I think someone once said, I don't know who said it, but I, so I can't give credit, but they said, you are ultimately a product of the five people closest to you. Find people who are running. Find people whose goal is this and this alone and stay really close to them. Be friends with these types of people. Let them encourage you to press on. I'm so grateful, so grateful I have people in my life who keep me focused on the right thing. Right, people who, who keep me humble. People who are running. Even just this morning, it's off the notes. Sorry, Paul, where is Paul? See, It's always a danger if I go off my notes. I'm gonna do it for a second. Even this morning, down here, um, I was telling the worship team, it was just awesome today. I was just so blessed by the worship this morning. Um, just my heart, just was with them up there. I just feel like, oh, I was just so blessed by it this morning. And um, I told them, I said, hell, I'll, I'll do my best to make sure that as excellent and amazing as the worship was, I told David Bendick sitting here, I said, I'll make sure, I want to make sure that the word is just as good. And you know what he said back to me? Doesn't matter, it's not about you anyway. He's one of our elders, by the way. <laughs> not about you anyway. And by the way, that's a, that's a common message I get. How's it go up there? What people think? People think, oh, you're a good pastor. You're not a good pastor. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's not good. Doesn't matter. It's not about me anyway. Find people who are running. Stick close to them. Paul says, one thing I do. You might underline that. You might circle it. You might highlight it. If it was another year, maybe that would be our phrase this year. One thing I do, I love it. So good. One thing I do, I press on to know him. I'm running towards him, Paul says. One thing, FEC family, one thing. I was praying this last night, actually. I want to be a one thing people. I want to be a one thing church because that one thing, knowing him, impacts everything. So as we close this morning, let me ask you, what one change, what one change can you make right now, this year, in your life, in order to pursue the one thing that matters most? One change this year, what would it be? Think about how you're spending your time. Think about how you're sp spending your talents. Think about how you're spending your money. Think about the books that you have planned to read this year. 
Listen, if you make this one thing, knowing him, the purpose of your life, the vision of your life, the goal of your life, it will change everything about you. Friends, if if you are a follower of Jesus today, here's the reality for you. Jesus Christ has made you his own. He has rescued you. He has saved you through his suffering on the cross and the power of his resurrection. He has made us his own. And because he has made us his own, he is not just worthy to be worshiped, worthy to be praised, but he is also worthy to pursue. So this year and for the rest of our days, let's pursue this one thing, one thing, to know him, to know Jesus. Let's strive to know him and his surpassing worth. Let's press on to be more like him. And let's strain forward to tell other people about him. Let's never grow tired of the gospel. Amen? Let me pray for you.